Good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be up here again, bringing the word of God to the people of God. Um, I was amused during the week. I was listening to a, a sermon online, and the preacher just mentioned, he said, my job is to speak and, and your job is to listen. And if by any chance you finish your job before I finish mine, please be patient with me. Um, so it's a good line, Shane, for you to keep in mind. Yeah. Thank you, Steve, for doing the reading, John chapter 5. I'm going to speak from that. Thank you, Adriana, for reading as well. It was very good, um, very impressive. So, yeah, let's just take a moment to pray and ask God's blessing on his word. Father, this is a very precious gift we have. Let it always be a treasure to our souls that we would build ourselves up in listening to your word, to what you say to us, not just on a Sunday morning, but day by day throughout the week, that every one of us would treasure the word of God that teaches us how to live as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It teaches us how to be saved, to know Jesus Christ, as our Savior, and be certain of going to heaven. But, Lord, it teaches us simply to honor Christ day by day. Enable us to do that now as we spend a little time around your word together. Thank you for it. Amen. So, um, yeah, last week I was actually speaking in, in call it Douglas Community School. They meet now in Ballyfehan, um Community Center because the school is closed. Uh, but... I was speaking from John chapter 4, the incident of Jesus when he heals the official son. There were two miracles following one another here, which is unusual in John. John is so much narrative about the things Jesus said. But here we have one miracle after another. The first miracle was there was a man when Jesus was in Cana of Galilee. A man came to him and said, my son is dying. Please, please come and, and heal him straight away. Jesus didn't go with the man. But he did heal him from a distance. It was a miracle. Jesus simply said, go home, your son is healed. And it was an extraordinary miracle that without knowing where the child was or what was wrong with the child or ever having met the child or the father, Jesus simply with a word, he said, go, your son lives. That was one miracle. And it's followed by another here. And it's interesting that In both accounts here, the the incident that Steve Keating read for us, as well as the previous one, the people were total strangers to Jesus. In the first case, the man came to Jesus and said, please come and heal my son. But in this case, there's a very unusual incident, really, because this man didn't know who Jesus was. He probably had never heard of Jesus He knew nothing whatsoever about him. But Jesus approached him, and Jesus very simply offered, do you want to be healed? That was it. Do you want to be healed? He didn't say anything about sin or repentance or anything like that. Just pick up your bed and walk. Um, It was a very deliberate act on Jesus and very unusual in his ministry. And it was very different, for example, if you remember in... um, We'd say in, in, in all of the Gospels, I think, except John, there's the incident of the man who was lowered down through the roof. Remember, they took the tiles off the roof and they lowered a paralytic down. And the first thing Jesus said was, your sins are forgiven. That was priority, your sins are forgiven. Jesus never even mentioned sin here. 
and yet he specifically went to him to heal him. No preaching, as I say, no sin forgiven, just it seems like a total random act of kindness. Why did Jesus do such a thing without any connection, it seemed, with his work on earth? What was Jesus' purpose? It was one purpose only, and it's in verse 16 there. Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus did it very simply to provoke a reaction from the Jewish leaders. Um, And so it, it was provocation. It was challenging the the establishment, as it were. And we live in a world, as you know, of, yeah, there's a lot of, confrontation in the world we live in. Uh, there's, it's, it's a world where authority is being challenged all the time and there's a kind of an anti-establishment mentality. So there are protests almost any day in, in London. There's a protest about something or other. There are protests, you know, we demand rights for this, we demand rights for that. And is that what Jesus was doing? Just challenging authority for the sake of it? Definitely not. And I would suggest as a believer, by the way, that you should not unnecessarily get involved in things that have no relevance to the kingdom of God. By all means, protest about, Shane mentioned about euthanasia, that we are very, very uncomfortable with the thought of assisted dying, assisted suicide. But believer, the Bible says to you, make it your aim to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands. Don't get yourself too worked up about things of this world. Don't get yourself too agitated about unnecessary arguments. In an age when the media, and there's a fuss about equality in everything, the scriptures remind us, let your gentleness be evident to all. The gospel is your priority in life. It is not about worldly affairs. Get yourself concerned with the kingdom of God and other things will will fall into place. And by all means, challenge sin, you know, just as as Shane mentioned about the the, uh, assisted suicide. And But make sure that your priority in life is to declare the gospel because that is far more important than anything else. Don't go looking for confrontation in, in unnecessary areas. Make it your aim to lead a quiet life. Paul wrote to us that he said, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, with, with, but against principalities and powers, against the dark forces of evil in this world. And what he was saying is that there are many, many issues out there. Um, Elsewhere he says that don't get carried away by every wind of doctrine, by, by things coming at you. Focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Avoid godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. There are all kinds of things coming at us, but keep the priority, the gospel. There are lots of issues, lots of ideas. Don't get carried away by them. What was Jesus' purpose then in telling him to go pick up your your mat, your bed and walk? And he never said to him, look, how are you spiritually? You know, Do you know where you're going when you die? Jesus never said that. It was, as I said, a very simple thing, provoke a reaction from the Jewish leaders. And Jesus was using a problem that someone else had to highlight the gospel, ultimately. And God is able to do that. The the problems of this world 
are not outside God's control. They are not random. God is using every and any situation for his own purpose and glory. But make sure that you keep your life in line with the gospel and with the the desires of God in your life. Because the Pharisees and, and other leaders among the Jews... At this stage, they had finally just about got rid of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a thorn in their sides. He was preaching at them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. He warned them again and again. He said, you're hypocrites. You're you're causing more problems by your religion than anything. They'd finally got rid of John the Baptist, ironically, through the means of Herod. The the Pharisees didn't like Herod either. He was the leader the the king of the Jews, who was kind of a, a puppet king working with the Romans, and they hated Herod as well. But he suited them in that he got rid of John the Baptist for them. And then this fellow Jesus comes, and he is even more of a problem. Because no matter what they say, no matter what they do, Jesus is always getting the better of them. And it all began at this incident when Jesus provoked them by telling the man, pick up your mat and walk. Because the problem was, it was a Sabbath. Their Sabbath was a Saturday, our Sabbath, if you call it a Sabbath, is a Sunday. And they saw him and they, they would have said to him, what are you doing carrying your mat? Don't you know this is the Sabbath? You can only walk a certain distance on the Sabbath, you know. There's no carrying of loads, no walking so far. How dare you do this so blatantly in a holy place in the temple? And there you are, picking up your mat and walking. You're a disgrace to the Jewish people, to the law of God. And they were on at him. They said, let me read to you what what the Mishnah says. Let a man abide in his place. Do not carry any object from one domain to another domain beyond four cubits. That's about two meters Neither let a man depart out of his place to venture beyond 2,000 cubits on a Sabbath day. Therefore, you are breaking the law. You are a disgrace. You're under the wrath of God. And this was how they were challenging him. And Warren Wearsby, a a well-known Bible commentator, said, They had taken the Sabbath, God's gift to man, and transformed it into a prison house of rules and regulations. God gave the Sabbath as a day of rest but they were making it a day of rules. And that was what was upsetting Jesus so much. And the reason John wrote this story in was not to highlight the miracle Jesus did, but to highlight the fact that he was provoking the Jews to think about what they believed. Because for the Jewish leaders, as far as they were concerned, they weren't concerned about the man's physical well-being. They didn't give a toss about the fact that he had been an invalid for 38 years. They weren't worried about anything but the fact that he was breaking the law. And from what we read in the Gospels, they didn't even seem particularly interested in people's spiritual well-being either. As long as you keep the rules, you won't bother us, and hopefully God will be happy with you. But if you break the rules, if you break the rules, we will deal with you, and we certainly won't be very forgiving of you. We'll be far less forgiving than God will be. So make sure that you keep the rules as long as we see you. They had a distorted view of God. As far as they were concerned, God is not interested in your care. He just wants you to keep the rules. And perhaps their thinking was in the Old Testament, 
people broke God's law and God punished them. And so for them, keep the rules and God will be happy with us. And Jesus was angry with them for for two reasons, very angry for, for two reasons. First of all, it meant they had a very, very low view of God. They were dishonoring God by holding such a, a, a mindset that as far as the, they were concerned, they had taken God and made him their commanding officer and that they might lord it over the people. They were making God to be like the gods of this world. You know, when, when Steve was, was opening the service, he, he read from Chronicles and he talked about the gods of this world. They're idols. They're not gods at all. And that's the, that was the impression that the, the Jewish leaders were given, that the gods of this world, that's what they're like. They just have rules and want sacrifice, and that's all. They had uh, forgotten that command of God that God had given repeatedly in the Old Testament, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. But for, for the Jewish leaders, it was, I desire rules and sacrifice and nothing else. Mercy, compassion comes nothing into it. And that's why Jesus quoted in, in, in Luke, he, he talks about the prodigal son. And the story of the prodigal son was the compassion of a, a father for his son. The father waited and waited. And Jesus was saying, that is what your heavenly father is like. So the first distortion they had was that they had turned God into a God of rules. The second reason Jesus was so angry was... In doing so, they had hidden the way of salvation from the ordinary people. And Jesus quoted in Matthew, he said, Woe to you, Pharisees and and teachers of the law. You travel over land and sea to make a single convert. And when you do, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. They were not allowing people to find God because they were not painting the proper picture of God. And that was why Jesus was so angry. That was the reason that Jesus Christ came into the world to seek and to save sinners because this is what sinners were facing. They were being told the wrong things about God. And we have to remember as well in this country that, and in in any country, that religion will not lead people to God. Religion is about rules and regulations. God is not interested in that. Jesus only gave one command. He gave two commands, basically. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Beyond that, he didn't give rules. But by their teaching, they were preventing people from finding their way, the way of salvation. So those two things were, were wrong. And as a result, Jesus was saying, you are facing a terrible judgment of God. And it was why Jesus said to them again and again, again, in, in Matthew, he said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, woe, 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 seven times. He said, woe to you. There are terrible, the wrath of God will fall on you because of the way you are teaching about God, the way you are leading people astray. And there is a terrible judgment of God coming on you. We need to ask ourselves, was Jesus wrong in this attitude? Did he have to be so confrontational, so abrasive? Well, as far as Jesus was concerned, he had to challenge what was wrong. 
It was too terrible in its consequences. And whatever means necessary, he would use that to challenge what was basically sinful behavior, wrong teaching about God. And later we find, as, as we read through that, that passage, Jesus found the man again. It was no accident. Jesus didn't just bump into him. Oh, there you are. You're well, are you? You're doing well. That's great. No, Jesus, I believe, he searched for that man. The man was in the temple, and Jesus looked for him because he wanted to finish what he had begun. There are no accidents in Jesus' life. This was no incident. Oh, there's that man. No, Jesus had a plan and a purpose in everything he did. And when Jesus met the man again, what was the first thing he said? See, you are well again now. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man must have been taken aback thinking, stop sinning. I've been an invalid longer than you can walk. And you're telling me to stop sinning. I haven't been able to sin for the last 38 years. Give me a break. I mean, let me have some pleasure before I start behaving myself. He must have been thinking, I, I just I haven't had a chance to sin. Just, just a few weeks of sin, please. Because, see, sin is pleasurable. Moses, it says in, in Hebrews, Moses, rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin, he chose to be ill-treated with the people of God in Egypt. But sin is pleasurable. We enjoy it. That's why we do it. And the man would have said, sin, I just, I just want to enjoy life just a little bit. Look at all the things I've missed out on. But that isn't what Jesus was on about at all. It wasn't the, the sin of behavior, the things we do. It was a different kind of sin that Jesus was dealing with. Because, you see, Jesus met the man. It wasn't in the marketplace or on the street. It was in the temple. And the reason he was in the temple it was to do because he had been in contact with the scribes and the Pharisees. They had got hold of him and they said, now you must start keeping the rules. You must do what we tell you. Because that was the very, very start when they got hold of him. You're breaking the law. Do not do this. Do not do that. Drop your mat. You shouldn't be carrying it. They had got hold of him. And so he had to go to the temple to, to offer sacrifice, to get right with God. And Jesus was saying to him, do not go down that road of following the rules and regulations of the Pharisees. That is sinful. That is what is wrong. Those are the very things I hate, and those are the things I came to deal with. That is what sinful behavior is. And when Jesus talked about his greatest problem, he talked about his sin. This man had been an invalid for 38 years. You think, how could anything be worse than that? And Jesus said, yes, there is something worse, something far, far worse in its consequences. Because your problems in this life, 38 years of being a, a paralytic, being crippled, they were bad. But one day that will end. But when you go into eternity, there is no end. The consequences go into and on and on into eternity. There will be no end. What is man's eternal state? Well, John, we, we read, we were dealing earlier with John 3.16. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And that's a lovely verse. It's always right to quote it. But if you read on from that verse to just two verses later, it says in chapter 
John 3.18, it says, anyone who does not believe is condemned because he stands condemned already because he has not believed. And it's not that God is going to send people to hell. People are on the road to a lost eternity to hell. And Jesus says, turn back. And that's what he was dealing with this man here, saying, turn back. The consequences are too great. I came to seek and to save what is lost. That's you. Therefore, how should you and I live with regard to our fellow man? I would say we should make every effort to to warn people of, of the dangers of ignoring Christ. Ultimately, that's what Jesus is doing. If you, for example, saw a blind man walking to a cliff edge, surely you'd warn him and say, stop, turn back. And that's the greatest kindness you could do for him. Rather than ignore his plight, you'd help him. Jesus went out of his way to first to heal the man, and then he went out of his way to find him and to say, stop sinning or something worse may happen. And there's a lesson in that for us, that even though we should never be antagonistic or, I suppose, aggressive in our presentation of warning people about the gospel, it is important for you and me to take every opportunity to tell people about Jesus, to warn them they're sinners in need of salvation, just as it it would bring hostility to Jesus in this case, it will bring hostility on you as well. If you tell people they need to be saved, it is offensive. The, Paul wrote in Galatians, he talked about the offense of the gospel because it tells people they're sinners. You'll be misunderstood. You'll be told you're arrogant. You'll be disliked by people. But that is the cost of being a Christian. And I don't mean you, you show an unpleasant personality. By no means be like that. But Jesus says, you must go and tell people. I'll just, in finishing, just to to tell, I suppose, a kind of an illustration. Supposing you're you're living in passage here, and you enjoy sailing. You've been on boats since you were a little child. You've learned to sail. You're very good at it at this stage. You've always sailed boats. You bought good boats. And as you're, you're living in the area, you get to know various people who go sailing. Others you get to know who are perhaps shipwrights, carpenters who make boats. And you decide to yourself, you know, I'd love to build my own boat. And I've seen the lads do it. I think I can do it. And you, you say to them, you know, I'm going to build my own boat. And they say, that's great. We'll, we'll have a look at it when you're finished. And so you get your materials and you design your own boat because you know how boats should look and you build it and it looks fabulous as far as you're concerned. And then you ask your two best friends who happen to be shipbuilders, boat shipwrights, and you say, what do you think? And the first fellow takes a look and he says, wow, that is a beautiful boat. Look at the lines in that. Oh, it's, it's really elegant. Oh, yeah, that's that's really, really good. And he looks it over and, mm, yeah, yeah, and... Friends will encourage you. That's great. They'll say you'll have hours of fun, days, weeks, years of fun, enjoyment on that boat. It's a beauty. And then you ask your second friend, he says, what do you think? And he looks it over and he says, that's dreadful. 
You used nails that will rust immediately. You used the wrong kind of wood. You used glue that is water-soluble. You'll take, start taking on water in the first hour. You'll sink within a couple of hours. You won't get beyond the harbor in that boat. It's a load of rubbish. It looks good, but it won't take you anywhere. You'll sink and you'll perish in that boat. And he says the most offensive things to you. He says, you don't have a chance in that boat. Which one would hurt you more? Well, the fellow who tells you the second bit of advice. It's far more hurtful. And who are you more likely to fall out with? The fellow who told you the offensive things. And yet, who is the true friend? It's the one who warns you of the danger that lies ahead. And the greatest kindness a friend can show someone is to warn them of the danger that lies ahead. It's no benefit to be a friend who says everything will be fine when you, when you know that he's heading for disaster. And Jesus says it is necessary that we tell people the gospel. It's necessary. And Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you also. Not in the way that you present the gospel, I hope, but in the fact that it is offensive. The gospel is offensive to men. And yet it is good news because it says there's hope because of Jesus. And so just to close and say, don't go looking for trouble in this world. Don't go stirring up trouble for the sake of it. But be eager to declare God's holy truth. Defend God's truth at all times. It's the most important thing you can do. You could discover a vaccine against COVID-19. It would be a great gift to mankind. But the greatest thing you can give is what Jesus said to this man when he said, stop sinning or something worse will happen. Because eternity is far, far greater in its consequences than anything in this world. Jesus went out of his way to come to this world to save sinners. He went out of his way to to find this man on two occasions with a clear purpose to bring the gospel to light. And he says to you and to me, go and do likewise. May God bless his word to us, and we'll finish with a a song now, Andrew. Thanks. Thanks.